Now, as I mentioned, I am particularly excited today because we've got an expert in a very important area because today we are going to be talking to Andrea Turner Moffitt, the founder of Plum Alley Investments. Like I said, she, she has nearly 10 years of experience investing and raising capital for companies with a focus on high growth tech clean energy, and financial companies. She is also the author of a book on intentional investing and engaging women investors. And she lives in Brooklyn, but is a Midwesterner at heart, myself as well. So we'll learn a little bit about that. She has three kids and is a runner who also loves to travel. Uh, so please welcome to your eyes and ears joining us today, Andrea Turner Moffat. Andrea, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. Um, I'm super excited to chat with you. So first of all, I have to understand where in the Midwest does that Midwestern sensibility come from? I am of Illinois. Uh, whenever I'm talking to New Yorkers, I like to say I'm just from Illinois because most people on the coasts really only know Chicago and Bloomington mm -hmm. is uh, in the middle of the state. So I'm from originally central Illinois. Ah, so central Illinois. I grew up in the great state of Ohio, uh, so not too far away uh, from you in, in Illinois. And do, I'm curious, do you think that when you talk to New Yorkers about Illinois, do they actually know where Illinois is? I feel like a lot of people confuse, at least Ohio and Iowa are constantly confused. Yeah, I think it's, I, t I tend to get Iowa and Indiana uh, confusion. Generally, mm -hmm. I think people know where Illinois is vis-a-vis -vis Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. Yeah, exactly. When you have a big city like that, that has, you know, pizza that's not as good as New York pizza, but still Chicago style pizza. When you have a place like Portillo's and their delicious chocolate cake shakes, people start to put, that's what people know Chicago for, right? It's not the Cubs or the, you know, White Sox or any of that. It's it's the food, I think. Um, but Andrea, uh, so before we jump into kind of your background and expertise in the career space, we do like to get to know the human behind the tech leader. So we're going to start with a rapid fire question where you can answer these in just one or two words. Are you ready? I'm ready. You're ready. Let's All right. Excellent. First question for you. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Morning. Okay. What, what time did you wake up this morning? Well, actually this morning is not the best example, but normally I'm a 530 to 6am riser. Okay. And then what was this morning? What was different about like, did you sleep well, in until I actually seven? I up way too late working on something last night. So it was more of a 645 wake up. Okay. Oh, okay. So 645 is late. Cause here I am yeah. like for me, noon is late. Like I'm more of like a 9am, but I could sleep until noon if I need to. I like that 645 is like, man, I've wasted the entire day. Um, excellent. Uh, are you Apple or Android? Apple. Okay. The whole ecosystem or just the iPhone or are you, are you like iPhone, Mac, fitness, Apple watch, all of it? I'm on a Mac now. Yeah. I do not have an Apple watch actually. I have a Garmin, uh, okay. but, uh, but phone, iPad and computer. Okay. I like true runner though. Going with the Garmin, I think, as opposed to, uh, the Apple watch, uh, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Extrovert. Okay. Uh, do you, how do you, how are you feeling then pandemic wise being locked in and away from people a little bit more? I think that's sometimes challenging. People forget like introverts were like, Hey, welcome to our world. Extroverts are probably like, I need people. How are you feeling? Total fatigue. I am, uh, you know, look, very blessed, been healthy, family's been healthy, but very feeling very cooped up. It's definitely feeling like the middle of winter and and I live in Brooklyn, but I'm actually calling in uh, from our office, uh, which is in Manhattan on 23rd Street in the Flatiron. So it's nice to change it up and get out of the house, even though I'm not really seeing many people. 
Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes just the the scenery itself around you changing, I think, is is important. Uh, let's see. When you were a little kid, what did you want to grow up to become? Well, I wanted. To, I actually wanted to grow up to become a doctor. That lasted until biology freshman year of college, and chemistry probably. I think it's amazing how like a certain class can sometimes completely change. I was chatting with someone recently. They also wanted to go pre med, and they're like, I got to calculus, and was like. Eh, that's more math than I want to do. So I like it. Sometimes a, a class can change that uh, that perspective. Uh, so maybe maybe not scientists, but what is what is a favorite hobby that you have currently? You know, funny enough, I thought you might ask me that question, and sadly, I don't really feel I have any hobbies currently. I I, I do love to play tennis. I love to travel, mm -hmm. and uh, so those are probably two hobbies. But I'm not really doing much of them at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, running a company and having three little kids, I would say hobby is the one thing that kind of falls away, even though hopefully after the pandemic and we emerge mm -hmm. from the pandemic, I can do a little bit more. I can weave in some time for that. Certainly. Yeah. You got to focus on certain priorities, running a company and children. It's probably more important to take care of the kids than it is to like master your tennis serve right now. Maybe right slightly now. more right. important right now, but yeah, they're going to get older you'll be able to focus a little bit more in the future. I love it. Uh, so, and, and maybe, maybe your answer will be a little bit different, but is there a, a TV series or a movie or a book you recently finished or read that resonated with you? Well, just finished watching the unwinding with Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Have you seen that? I have, I have I not, I've not even heard of it. So very, it was a, a bit of a thriller it takes place in mm -hmm. New York city. Very interesting. Good escape from day-to-day uh, -day life. Um, so that was a really good one. Uh, Hugh Jack, uh, not Hugh Jackman. Um, Hugh Grant is in it as well. Uh, and, okay. Uh, I am trying to catch up on The Crown. I also am a mm. Crown fan. Okay, I like it. My wife is watching The Crown. I've never seen any of it other than I just hear it sometimes over in the the background. But the unwinding may have to check that out. Um, I like it. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, who is someone who you admire? Well, certainly a lot of people who probably are not famous um, and necessarily recognizable names, but I would say in, in more recognizable names, I, 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 I really admire Melinda Gates and mm -hmm. the work she's done and the voice she's led in taking a stance around women investing, women in STEM, and very much have kind of modeled the way we've built Plum Alley around giving more people an opportunity to, to have a chance to take their own stance their own level of where they may play um, in, in their, you know, kind of space in the ecosystem. So she's certainly a big one. And I have to say all of the, all of the founders, women and men who we back and invest mm -hmm. in, I, I admire them incredibly because being a founder is a very tough journey, can be very lonely. And um, that many of them are, I mean, all of our founders are focused on building companies that are really trying to make a difference in the world. And, mm -hmm. um, and are very innovative, but also incredibly challenging to kind of break through and break out. So I'd have to give a, a shout out to the founders as well. Uh, I love it. That is a, a great, that's a great kind of uh, leader of an organization answer because you answer a good answer that like you give both, both answers are great. Some are like, we got to lift people up. And it's true. I, am, I, I see that there's sincerity when you say that it's not like a cliche kind of PR answer that you gave, but uh, I love that. And also to the point that you said a lot of people that people may not heard of. And that's helpful to remind people that, yeah, you don't have to be a world famous person to 
do admirable traits that other people look up to. So uh, a great answer all around uh, there. So the next question I have, you can certainly take more than one word to answer. Uh, this is still a little bit rapid fire round, but you can take a little bit more time. One of the questions that we like to ask uh, each of our guests is what's the story of your name? Are you named after someone? Is it, you know, are, do you like the name? Do you have a nickname? Anything that comes to mind when you hear the question of what's the story of your name? Is that my personal name or my or the name of my company? The your personal name. My personal name. Yeah, this well, is about the human behind the company. Sure. Well, I I love uh, I love my name, Andrea. I, I don't think there's any real big story. I'm not named after anyone, and I think my parents just liked it. I will say this: growing up, I didn't like writing my name. I don't have the best handwriting, and mm -hmm. I have a sister named Ashley, and at the end of her name is a Y, and I always was envious of the bubble letters and the Y. Mm -hmm. So, I, but at this point in life, I'm I'm not I'm uh, uh, I'm enjoying my name. I like it. well, and as you were just saying that, I realized. Have you recognized that as a like investor and who's helped a lot of different organizations, you probably are aware of this. Your your initials are the acronym is ATM. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I that that is my married initials. So mm -hmm. uh, I went from one acronym to another because my middle name is actually Noel. So I mm -hmm. went from Ant A N T <laughs> yep. to ATM. And I actually go by both my last names. So I write my initials as A-N-T-M. Uh, but yeah. in fact, when I got married, I was an investment banker. So, you know, the ATM acronym was very apropos. Yeah, so it seemed very, very appropriate. I like it. And um, so you already mentioned the, uh, earlier that you are a morning person. Uh, we're curious about people's routine. What you know, you wake up kind of on, a, on an ideal or average day. What's the routine actually look like first part of the day? Well, morning is really my time to do more strategic thinking. And, and uh, so a couple of, I try to get up and actually meditate and have a little space to think bigger picture, uh, especially with a busy household and then getting into work mm -hmm. and, you know, having a lot of competing demands on my uh, mind share and time. I find that morning is a really good time to do more strategic thinking. So I try to do that between like 5.30 and 6.30 and then sneak in a little exercise. So a couple days a week um, I'll do exercise and I try to get at least one or two days in where there's some some strategic thinking and meditation going on. But I, I do work in the morning because it's so quiet and no one's bothering me. And I love to get up before anyone else gets up. Yeah, I, that's what I, I, that's a common refrain that I hear from people that do wake up early is they like when no one else is kind of awake and yeah. bothering them, uh, which makes, I guess, a lot of sense. And so I get, I'm, I'm realizing now that as a, a person who wakes up a little bit later, people are waking up to avoid me in a sense. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm part of the people they are avoiding by waking up at uh, 5.30. But I think that mindfulness piece is, is very important. Like you said, it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day -day that you need a little bit of that time to, to think strategically. And, you know, so certainly we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Plum Valley coming up. But before we get into that, do you remember the first way that you made money way back in the day? Were you an early entrepreneur or was it like, oh, nope, I got a job, you know, in, in college later? No, I, I came out of college and went right into tech investment banking. I actually started my career right at the height of the tech bubble. So it was a fascinating time in the you know, 2000, um, late 99, 2000, 2001. And uh, being a Midwesterner 
And coming mm -hmm. from a pretty modest upbringing, I was very focused and uh, actually wrote about it in the first chapter of the book that I published, but was very focused on my own financial independence and mm -hmm. kind of gaining hard skills early. So figuring out how to create uh, is really establishing myself and, and setting myself up financially. And so while I didn't actually know what investment banking was, I knew actually, I knew um, it would be financially rewarding for the first few years and I would learn a lot and it would be a lot of skills that I could probably use in many different ways uh, in my future. So I joined a firm called Robertson Stevens and covered uh, technology companies, predominantly enterprise software companies. So it was a fascinating time and it was a fascinating time to see the height of the market and then the market falling out when the tech bubble burst in, uh, at that time. Okay. And and so is that, was that the, cause you went from maybe I'll be a doctor to not liking that first kind of biology class to uh, financial security with investment banking. How did that transition yeah. happen? Well, um, I would say the doctor thing was probably a freshman year of college and mm -hmm. then was really exposed to a lot more business and was very interested in mm -hmm. business. I, I minored in business. I went to Tulane University for undergrad and was very international um, affairs, international business at large. And so spent a year abroad and had a very good uh, uh, mentor who recommended not mm. taking business as a major because you can always go back to business school, which I did, mm -hmm. uh, but to do a liberal arts major. So I did liberal arts, but I knew I wanted to get into business. And then, in fact, had another really phenomenal mentor who was an investment banker and happened to be a family friend. At who uh, introduced me to the world of investment banking and, in fact, really helped me get, um, a, really opened the door for me to meet mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and find firms that might be a good fit. And, and he had referred me to someone that led to me joining Robertson Stevens. And I was fascinated by what was obviously happening at the tech bubble mm -hmm. at that time, which was a lot of internet companies. It was the dot-com everything era. And so figuring out how to learn about how companies finance themselves and mm -hmm. all these new technologies and how they were changing our lives and business was really, um, you know, opened my eyes, obviously, how I love spending every day. And, and one of the reasons I founded Plum Alley, uh, but it, you know, it's come full circle. Yeah, well, and I think I think there's a couple of things that stand out to me about what you say there is one, just again, sometimes the, the power of a mentor, right? Someone that you connect with and you resonate with they can help introduce you to maybe topics you didn't know fully about or get you passionate about something as well, which for some of the younger listeners that we have that might resonate of like, okay, what have they enjoyed in terms of the relationships, but also speaks to the power that some of the more senior listeners, people who are more established in their career, how if they serve as a mentor for other people, how in some ways life-changing it can be, like help you to kind of be shepherded into this this focus. So a, another example of kind of that that value of, giving back. And so, you know, you started your career in investment banking, as you mentioned, kind of as an analyst, then as an associate, you become vice president at Citibank. Uh, and then you leave to start your own thing. Like why, why were you like, okay, time for me to kind of like go off and, and do this stuff on my own? What was the, the prompt for that? 
Well, a couple of things within that narrative. Uh, I, uh, between various investment banking jobs and also I did a, a stint working at an investment firm that was a hedge fund of funds, I went to business school and was very involved at that time in what uh, is called the Tamer Center now, which is a social enter mm-hmm. enterprise program at Columbia Business School. And I was fascinated, and this was mid-2000s, I was fascinated by the intersectionality of investing and how we drive change in the world. And uh, so, and, and then kind of found myself a few years later, five years later, um, still doing investment banking, but also very, very committed to figuring out how do we change the dynamic around inequality, particularly inequality around um, you know underrepresented investors, be that women, uh, other underrepresented groups, minorities, et cetera. Uh, but I was particularly interested in figuring out how do we better engage women investors. And so mm-hmm. before founding Palm Alley, I actually partnered with six big financial services for Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse, and others. I, I did a global study on women investors that culminated in a book that I pushed, which is called mm-hmm. Harness the Power of the Purse, Winning Women Investors. And that was, for me, a foundational business case study because I had an entrepreneurial bug. I knew mm-hmm. when I was still working um, at, at City that I was very interested in establishing a totally different firm around investing and one that would really engage a different um, audience of investors, particularly focused on women. And uh, so so, so that experience um, gave me the opportunity to see that venture um, and building a, a venture firm a little differently, um, which we've done at Palm Alley in terms of who we've engaged as investors and where we're focused on investing was um, you know, very pivotal in my decision to, to break out as an entrepreneur and as an investor to establish my own firm in partnership with my founder, Jackson. And then how did you know when it was time to do that? Because I feel like sometimes people have this thought of like, oh, I have an idea or I'm ready to, to strike out on my own. But there's, you know, it's a, it feels like a little bit of a risk to leave kind of the comfort and security of a quote unquote steady yeah. paycheck to be like, I'm going to strike out on my own. Like, how did how was that process for you coming to terms to say, nope, I'm going to do this? Yeah, it's a it's not a straight path. At least it wasn't for me. And in fact, before co-founding Plumalley Investments with 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 Deborah uh, Jackson, I spent a couple years um, uh, as an entrepreneur myself, and was doing that simultaneously while I was conducting this global study and writing a book on women investors. So I de- I, I really was testing and had established it. Um, you know, very early stage fintech company that was focused on different ways of engaging women investors, and and frankly dated and failed at a few different partnerships and and looked at many different types of businesses and, and it was it's to identify the right path for me to actually um, uh, establish a venture firm and uh, and and co-found Plumel Investments with Deborah. And how but did it took you? Meeting people. I mean, just to, I would say unpacking that a touch more. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a journey. You have to try different things, see what's working, identify your, your market, um, who you're trying to serve. And, um, and, and certainly in, um, building a, building a company and, and doing it in partnership with someone else, there's there, I, I've, I've often found some analogies to marriage. You do have to try, uh, different people and see who's a fit. Uh, and I had a few failed, business marriages that, you know, just weren't the right fit for whatever reason. Uh, and, and you actually learn a lot from those 
um, those that don't work out that makes much clearer uh, when you do find a partner that is is the right fit to build a business with. I think that's a, a fantastic metaphor, right? The any type of job search is a lot like dating in that sense of like sometimes it takes you dating a certain person or having a certain type of job to realize, oh, I don't want that thing. Like I thought maybe I did, but I don't want that. So maybe instead I want something over here. So I think it's a, a fantastic analogy, but also recognizing that you know, the, those are all learning opportunities. You know, my background is in computer science, but also started doing improv. And from improv, I learned that failure is just data. In many cases, it's just like data to say, okay, that thing that you just tried didn't work. So how can you iterate on yep. it and improve? And so I'm curious, how did you have that resilience mindset, right? Because you started, um, you started an organization, you do it for about two years. Like you said, you didn't have quite the right, right fit. And was was the thought process to be like, ah, I'm just going to go back to comfort and security versus like, how did you then say, okay, that didn't work. But if I try it and tweak this out, now I get to Plum Alley, it actually does work. Like, how did that that work for you, that that resilience to say, it's not that I can't be an entrepreneur, it's just yeah. I need to go in a different, different direction. Yeah, I, I think that you are, you have to, and this is why I think mindfulness time during the week and, and really being able to hear your thoughts is so important because you have to listen to the cues that mm -hmm. are coming up, whether it's from clients or customers or the market or investors or funders or your, you know, your team or business partners. And it, you know, it became very clear to me that I was a, um, very, I was uniquely positioned to build a very different type of investment firm. And mm -hmm. my careers of strength lie in venture, given my own experiences and my own personal interests. And uh, mm -hmm. so I, um, and I was very, I was very committed to breaking open access for a more underrepresented investor in venture to have access to invest in venture and to really change the ecosystem by getting more capital to women founders and uh, you know it was clear to me that the best way to do that was to was a, a um, you know building and scaling a venture firm that had a very specific investment thesis at Plum Alley we're focused on investing in women founders from the STEM fields so we lead actually with tech and healthcare, and we look to back women technologists and women scientists. But we mm -hmm. also are very committed to engaging um, a much broader base of investors. So certainly women, but we have a lot of other men investors and institutions and family offices that invest with us. But we do that with a focus technology and healthcare taking us, uh, and with an intentionality. Mm -hmm. So um, you know that that became clear to me, um, but it it took many many different experiences for that to crystallize, um, you know, over, over really a couple of years um, and, and continuing to listen to what your, your own unique differentiated advantage and, and where you, where you want to wake up every day and spend your time doing. Yeah. Which I think is a great reflection of like, yeah, what do you actually want to spend that time doing? And I love, I love just that mindset. They're like, okay, how do we get more support to some of these groups? okay, what if I just create an organization that gives that support to those people? Let's just create a venture firm. Let's do it, right? That's a, a, a fantastic way to, to give back. And obviously, so Plum Alley uh, Investments, uh, like you said, investing in next generation technology, healthcare companies, 100% of the portfolio companies have at least one woman in the founding team, um, which I think is such an incredible thing. And this is maybe a dumb slash obvious question, but I think it's still valuable to, to articulate as, 
why is that valuable? Why is that important to you? Like, obviously we should be wanting to support that, but why are you saying, Hey, rather than maybe an easier track of going this way, this is what I want to do. I want to give that support. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are no dumb questions and that's certainly a very important one. I, uh, I see just incredible opportunity. Well, a couple of things I'm sure you're familiar, but just for the audience, who may or may not be familiar, when you look at the amount of capital that goes into venture last year was to the tune of $150 billion. The majority of that capital group does go to uh, all male founded teams. And uh, I don't know the latest for 2020, but on average, you've seen about two-ish percent that's gone to women only founded teams and something around 14, 15% has gone to companies that have had at least uh, one woman in the founding team. So maybe, you know, three founders, two men and a woman or, or one man and a woman as a founding team. But still there's a massive disparity of uh, mm -hmm. distribution and you layer in how much innovation is happening, how fast um, and, and the opportunity that we're seeing with incredible advancements in technology and medical breakthroughs and how it's changing our lives and our businesses and how we operate every single day and the and 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 that you know most of that innovation is really happening in early stage companies and mm -hmm. there's an opportunity to really usurp and change the complexion of the big corporates and the big companies that are public and uh, driving much of capital markets uh, in the course of a 10 year period of time and so when you see the lever of change Venture is a very, very powerful space to play because companies that can grow and scale in a pretty short period of time. I mean, it's still 10 years, but that's not very long. And mm -hmm. you can um, have incredible uh, impact in what companies, why why we're building all these new innovative technologies, what are mm -hmm. the medical breakthroughs we want of the future, and how do we ensure that there is more diversity of thought in what we're innovating, how, you know, what kind of ingenuity is being brought to market, what markets we're serving, and what are some of the big problems that we're solving that are, frankly, some of the biggest opportunities as we look at the next decade. And, and that really, you know, makes my heart beat fast and and gets me really excited because I, I see just tremendous opportunity on what's mm -hmm. happening for change and innovation and growth and economic growth and, and certainly returns, but also from a um, evolution of um, equality and impact uh, standpoint. Yeah, well, and I think one, I can maybe see some of the writer or author in you coming out because you have such, such great phrases that you shared earlier. Um, the idea of you have to be able to hear your own thoughts, which I think is great. And then to be a lever of change, I think is just fantastic articulation. So I love the, the phrasing that you use and such an important kind of recognition. My, my wife was sharing how, at least from her perspective, like they had this challenge, I think, on the Apple team when they're looking at the wellness app for Apple is like for the longest time, the wellness app had, you know, heart rate and all this kind of other stuff, but it had nothing to do with menstruation. It had nothing to do with what a large portion of the population has to go through and what would want to track for health. And it's because, yeah. you know, theoretically it might be because underrepresentation of someone actually raising their hand of saying, this is important because, you know, I go through it or I know people who, who go through it. So that representation becomes really key. And so I'm curious, uh, I'm sure that the list is very, very long, but certainly as a you know straight white male, I I sit in a ton of privilege, which you know I'm trying to better understand. In addition to lack of resources, what are other challenges that women investors or underrepresented um, uh, founders have to go through that maybe we're not fully aware of? 
Yeah, I think, um, and you know, I would just echo, uh, you know, I, I have the woman dimension of diversity, but I too, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mindful and conscious of my own white privilege and, and, and what that means and other, other, other underrepresented founders, which we're also equally focused and, and committed to. But I think that, you know, when you look at underrepresented founders at large, the, the, some of the biggest challenges from a founder perspective certainly is getting access to capital, but a lot of that is connected to networking relationships. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are certainly bias. There's been bias in the system as there is bias in every system. And I think we can all work harder to um, alleviate that as much as we can. I think there will always be some bias. Um, mm-hmm. But I think one of the areas and certainly something that we've been very focused on at Plum Alley is is how do we really strengthen networks and strengthen relationships? Mm. And founders, you know, A, really helping more underrepresented founders getting access to capital and getting funded. But beyond the capital, the other, I like to call it the other forms of capital, you know, particularly the, mm-hmm. the social capital, the relationships, the networks, the door opening, they are equally, if not more important. Be, and you've seen some of these stories and the big successes at companies that have gone public or gotten acquired. They've certainly had the funding, but they've also had the championing and door opening. Mm -hmm. And so one of the unique aspects of Plum Alley, uh, we're we're actually closing now um, a venture fund, but to date we've invested 32 million in 23 companies. And all of that has been invested through uh, pooled syndicates and is uh, underpinned by hundreds of investors, many of whom are women who are operators or executives or public company board members across industries, uh, men too, but it's about um, about 75% women and about 25% men. And so the power of that network and this, uh, and part of that network is outside of Silicon Valley. So we have certainly some investors who are based there, but others outside that enable us to open doors and value to those founders in a in a very meaningful way beyond just writing a check, which is is clearly important, but it's more than that. And so I think that is one of the biggest areas where for founders the the ability to to have those resources, those networks and relationships, in addition to to having a more straight path to to finding the right partners to capitalize their business. Well I think that's a a great like a great service to be able to provide is those, as you mentioned, the other forms of capital, right? It's not just the monetary investment, but like you said, that the network or the support or the like, hey, we we can help to scale that or escalate it or we can help have you thought about this or this worked in the past or didn't or like those types of relationships just can help to accelerate so much. And so, you know, clearly this is something that you're passionate about. As you mentioned, uh, you are the author of the book, Harness the Power of the Purse, Winning Women Investors. Um, why write a book? Because like this was in addition to other work that you're doing. It's not like you're like, I'm going to take a two year sabbatical and do nothing. It's like, no, you were still very busy at that time. What was it that drew you to either the book writing process or wanting to get out there that you said, hey, this is this is a valuable thing that I need to to work on? Yeah, well, I, I wrote the book. It's been a few years. I, I wrote the book before I founded Plum Alley with a co-founder mm-hmm. of Plum Alley Investments. And uh, I was fascinated by what was happening in um, just the wealth management industry at large and and in the investing markets with regards to really very uh, limited participation uh, from in in a significant fashion. Or certainly my industry was really ignoring women as investors. Mm -hmm. And that's true for 
women in institutional investing roles, like like me as a as a GP of of Plum Alley, but also for women as individual investors. And I was particularly interested in those that are you know accredited investors had the ability to invest in private markets. Uh, in early stage companies or, you know, in other areas of, of um, alternative investments, because I saw that there was just so much wealth creation happening. And there's mm -hmm. so much, you know, alpha uh, in terms of return that's being made beyond just what you can get in, 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 the, in buying the market, a public equity market. And why was it that there weren't more access points for very, you know, smart, successful uh, women to be investing in that space. And I saw it as not just really important to close the gap, the wealth gap, which mm -hmm. there is a huge wealth gap from a gender standpoint uh, and other, mm -hmm. you know, underrepresented investors. But, but there's also um, in terms of that relationship capital and the ability to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, invest with this, um, you know, a, a bit of, you know, how you want to invest for the future. So, a lot has happened in terms of women's influence on philanthropy, but there had mm -hmm. not historically, and there still has not historically been as much around women's influence as investors. And uh, um, certainly that is changing. I think there's much more focus on it in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. But And that's one of the reasons why I um, mentioned Melinda Gates as someone I admire. I mean, when I wrote the book, which is now almost five years ago, uh, I did it because I personally felt, wow, I, I want to be able, even in my small way, to have a voice mm -hmm. as an investor, to invest in the future I want to see, to back more diverse founders, um, and to invest in technologies and medical breakthroughs that are going to shape our future. And and how do mm -hmm. I have the opportunity to do that? Um, and so the book allowed me the, the chance to hear, particularly from women, what they were looking for. And interestingly, mm -hmm. I would say it is... Um, it was really into, and, and, and it's ha it's unfolding even more rapidly. M many men want that as well. I mean, I think we're, well, we've mm -hmm. all been talking, there's been a lot of noise around impact investing. I like to think mm -hmm. of it as intentional investing because I think as mm -hmm. a society, we're, we're increasingly looking at how are we deploying capital so that, you know, it's really a better future for all. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and how are we building a healthier planet and a healthier um, world um, that we're all living in? And, and, and I don't think of it as just impact because I think there's, um, different ways people measure impact, and mm -hmm. some you know, something that you care about for impact is maybe different from me. And so I think about it as intentionality. I think that investors are looking to be more intentional in how they invest. And sometimes it is about solving climate or education or health or diversity. Uh, and sometimes it's just about a curiosity of learning and people wanting to invest in things they want to learn about. Maybe it's robotics or it's you know where AI is going or CRISPR and gene editing. Uh, and sometimes it's about investing in spaces where you may have a personal area of expertise and you want to invest in because you have relationships or network. But, um, you know, were big ahas that, that came out of writing that book and the research, which I just see mm -hmm. as my, my business case for founding Plum Alley because we've woven that into the way in which we've built Plum Alley as a venture investment firm. Wow. And I think it's such a great uh, base, like you said, it became that business case to say, okay, this is because this is the world that exists. You've clearly then done your market research, talking to entrepreneurs and stuff. It, it sets the stage for you to be able to, to create something that does have intention and have impact. And I love that articulation between the the two, because you're right. My impact is different than yours, like, and others, but to have that intention is, is such a powerful thing. So I'm, uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, as, as an author myself, I spend maybe way too much time looking at the, the reviews. Did you read the reviews and things like that on the books? Do you see that when they, they come in? Are you kind of 
uh, influenced by that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so funny. It's it's been a little while, so it's not top of mind right now. Um, but yes, I mean, you know, certainly see what people have to say, and and it's it's really fun now because. I'll meet people and, and actually I'll be out talking to investors uh, who are interested in investing in our Palm Alley Venture Fund. And they'll say, oh, wait, you wrote that book and they won't even have put it together. So um, so that's really fun because you get to hear. Or I, I, in fact, there's a really phenomenal story of, of a woman who saw me speak and, and, and had read the book and was so was so motivated and, and uh, by the message that um, she convinced an organization that she's part of to really make a really big investment to back um, diverse diverse founders and 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 diverse and more diverse GPS uh, in the venture world. So that is incredibly rewarding. So maybe less about um, the reviews and more about beginning to see the fruits of that labor, you know, really blossom and the various ways in which. Um, I think that I might have been a little early to pushing that conversation, but I'm seeing, you know, not just us as a firm really grow and expand, but, um, you know, many others out there and so much we need to back certainly more um, diverse founders in early stage companies, but we also really need to back more diverse investors across all asset classes. And I'm proud to see so much action happening on that front. Yeah, well, and I think it is, it's a great testament to the book, looking at some of the reviews um, on it. There's a lot that say, you know, it's a must read, must read for all financial advisors, uh, you know, to call for action. And again, this was like you said, 2015. So this was still early as part of that stage. So uh, for people who are interested, definitely check out the, the book, Harness the Power of the Purse. Um, and, uh, you know, as we start to, uh, wrap up, um, Andrea, if people are interested in learning a little bit more, either about Plum Alley or about some of the work that yeah. you're doing, clearly a thought leader in this space with speaking and writing as well, where can they either connect or learn a little bit more? You know, lots of information on Plum Alley on our website, plumalley.co. Mm -hmm. And that uh, really highlights certainly our investment thesis, which, you know, as you mentioned, is focused on investing in technology and healthcare specifically, but companies who have at least one woman founder from the STEM fields. And um, really exciting because we see so much interesting stuff happening, whether it's in alternative protein or in CRISPR and gene editing and diagnostics. Um, many of our companies have relevant solutions to kind of the world post COVID. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and frankly, it's so, um, uh, I think, refreshing and rewarding to just see the incredible, the incredible credentials of many mm -hmm. of our found women founders from, from, you know, who are, as I said before, technologists and, uh, and scientists, but plumalley.co, um, and um, reachable through there as well and opt-in. Yeah, well, uh, thank Andrea. Thank you so much for for joining us today, for sharing kind of the insights of your background and also the the inspiration. I love that focus on intentional investing and whether that for the listeners is actual investing dollars or maybe it's for an, as an entrepreneur or even a, just a, kind of an employee somewhere is how you're investing your time and how you're creating kind of that that world we want to to live in. So, uh, Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today on the Ascent Podcast. And thank you all for uh, listening to us today. Uh, as mentioned, this has been another episode of the Event Ascent Podcast. This is brought to you by uh, first the Ascent Conference, uh, which puts on some fantastic events. You can learn more about them at ascentconf.com, as well as by Humor That Works, my organization where we focus on teaching organizations and individuals how to use humor to get more 
uh, effective results in the workplace. You can learn more about us at humorthatworks.com. We've got a whole lineup of other fantastic thought leaders uh, and tech leaders that we're going to get to know the human behind as well, just like we did with Andrea today. So be sure to subscribe and uh, rate on your favorite podcast services. And uh, with that, thank you all so much for watching. Thank you.